The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Lord, we're praying for this city. Looking down from the hill. Praying for revival here. Oh, let our hearts be filled. For the people of this city, Lord. United we will stand. By your loving grace and mercy. Holy Spirit, fill this land. Let revival come. Let revival come. Let revival come. Let revival come to this city. To this city. As summer turns to winter Every season brings a change So we lay our lives before you Just waiting for that day Love deeper than the ocean Wider revival song of heaven in the name of Jesus Christ let revival come let revival come let revival come to this city
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. It's time to draw a very firm line in the sand. It's time to draw a line that we will not cross, where we will no longer enter into any compromise with the world, the flesh, or the devil. This is not the first time in history that we have come to a culture where we have to draw that kind of line. It's happened through the ages. We have not been as aware of it in America because of the Judeo-Christian heritage that we have. Many of us grew up in very fine Christian homes. And so we never faced the reality of everything being turned upside down. But now it is the common practice. Men are no longer men. Women are no longer women. Marriage is no longer between a man and a woman. Every unclean thing has risen up. Greed, bitterness, anger, fighting. In the midst of all of this flood of vile evil, Many of us have tried to be tolerant. We've tried to be kind, we thought. I'm suggesting that the time, no, I'm not suggesting, I'm telling you very plainly, the time has come to cut off all the foreign gods that have swept into America. It is time to no longer be tolerant of evil, but instead in our own lives and in our own hearts to utterly cut it off and then to expose all the evil that comes in contact with us, to not be in agreement with it. To not be in agreement with the violence. You say, how am I in agreement with the violence? Go see a violent movie. Oh, but it's just a movie, Pastor. No, it's not. When you sit in that theater and drink in that filth that Hollywood has pumped out, you are scarring and molding your heart for eternity. When you sit and watch the games... They are preparing you for more violence. I know many Christians worship at the altar of our professional sports. It's time to cut off the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the church in Europe has largely lost its impact on society. Why? because they stopped being salt and compromised. I just read about a large megachurch in Texas, a first Methodist church, who is leaving the Methodist church because it is being consumed with all of the discussions about compromise with the world. And this pastor and his flock said, we don't want to spend our time 
even debating these issues. The scriptures are very clear. I prayed for him. That was a bold and wonderful choice of God. Joshua, in the 24th chapter, verse 14, said, Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. That word sincerity, you know I've spoken of it often. It means a pot of clay that has been fired and did not crack is a sincere pot. An insincere pot is one that is cracked and what you place in that pot drains out. Well, many of you have had love for Jesus drain out of your heart until you're lukewarm today. You're blind, you're naked, you're miserable, but you don't even know it because you filled your life with sports. I was just thinking this morning, if you were to turn off your television, lay aside your computer, lay aside your cell phone, They're called smartphones, but in fact, they're dumb phones. If you would lay aside all of the social media for a period of time, you would sense such a loneliness in your heart, and then you would either have to deal with it or quickly jam all of the world's culture back into your heart to block that hole where you feel like your life is draining away. But in fact, all of that is draining away your life, your eternal life. So Joshua says, Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. I have drawn that line in the sand And there is no longer going to be any compromise with darkness in any possible way that I can be aware of in the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a passage of Scripture that identifies what those things are. Perhaps perhaps I should share this with you out of Colossians, the third chapter. He says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. He names them. Fornication. That includes movies that are unclean. Uncleanness. Passion. Evil desires. Coveting, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Now, this is what I'm speaking about, this 
line in the sand. Don't cross the line and become angry. Wrath, malice. I want to tell you why. When you become enraged at someone, when you are utterly dismissive of someone as garbage, you have opened a channel for a demonic presence to begin to oppress you, to become a familiar spirit. You've given the devil permission to come and bring destruction in your life. Anger, wrath, malice. These are the first three items listed in Colossians 3 verse 8. You've got to draw the line and say, I will forgive. And I will treat with kindness and respect a person who has sinned, who has sinned against me, who has stolen from me, who has lied about me, has hurt others that I love. We must put away that anger, that wrath, and that malice, or we give the devil an opening to our hearts. He also says, put away blasphemy. What is that? It is acting and speaking against the Lord God of heaven. It is claiming to be our own God. And is that not what our culture is doing? We are claiming that we can be whatever we want to be. We can go where we want to go. We can do what we want to go. We are claiming that we are God, that we have the power to make the choices. We don't. Filthy language. Dirty language. All unclean spirits spoken of in the Scripture, all spirits of darkness, all demonic presence is described as unclean. When filthy language comes out of your mouth, when cursing comes out of your mouth, you are siding with demonic presence. And they will move more and more into your life until they rule over you. It says, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all, and included in that is this wicked, wicked part that is becoming so prominent in America. Racial slurs. Blacks against whites. Whites against blacks. Koreans against blacks. Chinese and Koreans speaking ill of one another. No, in Jesus Christ, we're all one. So today I'm on this last broadcast of the year.
I'm asking, will you join me in drawing a line in the sand? No compromise with sin. We don't care if we're out of step with the world. We know that in the end, God wins. We don't believe the lies of the culture that say sin is fine, it's good, it's proper. We know that everything is turned upside down. That which is evil is now lifted up as righteous. And that which is righteous is now cast down as evil. I come today serving in the joy of the Lord. I come today rejoicing that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and I know he wins. In the end, he wins. So I'm called now, 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Balal? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body, spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Now there is a There's a very popular teaching. I'll not go into it in depth today because I want to go to the Argentine revival. But I'm going to say it to you very straight. The scriptures are very, very plain. Read carefully Romans, the sixth chapter. You cannot be a sinner saved by grace. If you're saved by grace, you are no longer a sinner. You have left your sin. The mighty power of the blood of Jesus has destroyed the sin in your heart. Now, just one more thing I need to say before we go to the Argentine revival. Let's be very plain. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And that gift of God, that free gift of God, is righteousness. True, imparted righteousness. Sin is voluntary rebellion against God. And we are called now by the Spirit 
to draw a line in the sand. And you know right now as I speak to you, those areas in your life where you're not yet yielded to Jesus. The Spirit of God has spoken to you about them. You have cast him away. You have hardened your heart. You've said, someday, 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 well, someday will never come, and you'll face the judgment. It's not simply a matter, as one pastor put it, of right now, make a decision, you're going to serve Jesus, you repent of your sin, and you're on your way to heaven. It's not that easy. We are called to the battle for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to allow the Spirit of God to reveal every sin of our heart. For sin will not enter heaven. Rebellion against God will never again be allowed in the universe. And we won't want to rebel if we are filled by His Spirit. So I urge you today, draw a line in the sand. Now I want to share with you the first years of Clifford Long and his wife, the first seven years in the Chaco Desert. I want to share this with you because it's very easy in the battle to become quite discouraged. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. Don't be discouraged. The Lord wins the battle. We know that. In the end, Jesus wins. I've read the last chapters of Revelation. I know how this deal ends. So be strong in the Lord. And your strength is the joy of the Lord. We serve in joy. We fight the powers of darkness with joy, knowing that Jesus wins. It doesn't matter if I live or die in this battle. Jesus is the one that matters, and he's calling his people to engage in the battle for revival for Washington, D.C. Will you join in the battle? It's not always pretty, and right now, the battle is not pretty. It's down, it's bitter, it's hard, and yet the joy of the Lord is my strength, and I rejoice in him. There are grave disappointments. I am very disappointed that we're not on the FM side of the dial. I'm very disappointed that it's so slow moving forward. But it's okay. I'm not going to stop. I'm going straight ahead in the joy of the Lord. And he will have the victory. This is what the Longs faced in that Chaco Desert in the Argentine Revival. The first seven years of missionary service in Chaco were, for the Longs, years of drought, difficulties, frustrations, and necessities. They found the Argentine people utterly hostile to the gospel. The new language was difficult to master. Finances were insufficient and impossibilities everywhere they turned. And worst of all, their goal as missionaries 
to win souls to Jesus and pioneer a Christian church seemed impossible to attain. In spite of extensive tract distribution, personal witnessing, prayer, worship services, and anything else they could think of, few would even listen to the message they longed to share, which much less heed their words and come to the Lord for salvation. I'm finding the same thing, people in Washington and on this radio. It's the same deal. It's hard. It's it's impossible. It's exhausting. But what am I trying to do? I'm trying with all of my might. In spite of mistakes, in spite of my own immaturity, trying to raise up an honest Christian church of holiness, not on the architecture of man's church structure, but a New Testament church. And revival for Washington, a turning in this city by thousands to Jesus, the healing of the sick, the restoring of the lost. That's what I'm trying to do. The longs for six months laboriously cleaned away cactus with sharp poisonous barbs and deep stubborn roots, and they build a small chapel with mud walls and thatch roof and a brick floor. Windows and doors were made out of old wooden Singer sewing machine boxes. That's all they had. Neighbors, glancing curiously at the new building, showed no interest whatsoever in attending church. The Long's immediate family was generally the only congregation for the worship service. Once in a while, a few Argentine, mostly women, would wander in and then never return, giving occasion to the populace to laughingly taunt, the gospel is the religion of the women, of the women only. Finding the work among the white Chaco dwellers so completely unproductive, they turned the Indian tribes out on the reservations where their response was somewhat better. Although here and there a few were saved, healed, and filled with the Holy Spirit, the Indian church still trudged forward at a turtle's pace. When the Indians began to respond to the gospel message, the white Argentine people invented a new sneering jab. The gospel is the religion of the Indians, of the Indians and of women. The Catholics, observing the Indian evangelical church slowly growing, published a decree prohibiting any group other than their own minister among the Indians. It looked as if the only open door of ministry would soon be closed. Concluding that a more elegant chapel might appeal to the white Argentines, the Longs built another chapel of brick stone reinforced concrete. Unpaid bills came rushing in while the Argentine nationals stayed away. 
discouraged with constant reverses, impossibilities, and mounting financial obligations, the long sorrowfully began to wonder if their fasting, their prayer, and their travail before the Lord had not been in vain after all. Although a limited entrance had been made among the Indians, it was still impossible to gain even a toehold among the white Argentines. Many times they would have fled their Chaco Sahara, but God held them there steady as they wandered from one spiritual desert to another. That describes my entire ministry in Washington, D.C. Oh, my. What should I do? Waiting in the presence of the Lord one day, Clifford Long remembered a vision he had received during the Holy Spirit's infilling many years before. As he had worshipped and praised the Lord in unknown tongues, he'd seen a beautiful valley carpeted by luxuriant green grass with thousands of white hands reaching heavenward. In another scene, he saw a group of dusky-skinned natives, naked save for their loincloths, surrounding him, listening to his teaching. The remembrance and renewing of the vision of the uplifted white hands and the dusky-skinned natives encouraged him to continue on in prayer. I'm encouraged likewise by a dream the Lord gave me when I was only ten. I was an adult in the dream, driving into a large facility in Washington, D.C. And thousands of people were coming. Many were weeping, falling down on the ground even before they came into the facility, seeking the heart of Jesus. I stood in the pulpit and I looked out over the congregation. It was jammed. Thousands of people were present. Many years later, I went to that facility here in Washington. And as I began to ascend the stairs to the balcony, the Lord took me into a vision. And I saw Crowds of people coming down those stairs, weeping as they came. I had to quickly move to get out of their way. I know the Lord is bringing revival to Washington. I'm encouraged by what he has shown me will happen in this city. Brother Long was encouraged by this remembrance of the Holy Spirit's vision. He writes, in due time he found himself surrounded by the dusky natives who listened attentively to his teaching. But where were the white hands uplifted in the fertile valley? And where was this valley? Now after the glorious victory in one hamlet, the missionary traveled to other towns on the Indian reservation to minister once again from Isaiah 53. As they listened to the readings and explanation from the word, 
Forty-two Indians were instantly healed, just as they had been in the other hamlet. Other services followed among different Indian congregations. As news of the healing spread, unsaved Indians began to come until congregations were numbering from five to six hundred people. Signs and healings followed the simple reading of the word. In one place, as the missionary was hurrying away after the service, a man rushed up saying, Pastor Long, my two children are dying at home. I believe that if you will pray for them, they will live. In response to the word of the Lord that came to his heart, the missionary simply replied, Go your way, your children will live. And when the father finally arrived home after several days of travel, he found his two children playing happily in the yard, completely healed by the power of God. At another time, a big burly Indian came up saying that he couldn't hold a job because every time he tried to work, he trembled violently. In an instant, the missionary saw, as in a television scene, two oxen yoked together, throwing their heads about fiercely, and he heard the words, dragged by oxen not well tamed. When asked if he'd had suffered an accident with oxen about fifteen years ago, the man at first stared blankly and shook his head, and then suddenly his face lit up as he remembered the incident when the missionary laid his hands on this man's back to pray. The Lord healed him instantaneously, enabling him to work again without any difficulty. Concluding all of his efforts in soul-winning, witnessing, tract distribution had been in vain. The missionary sought the Lord even more diligently. And just a side note, that's what I'm doing. I'm giving everything to prayer and intercession to the point of utter exhaustion I'm waiting on the Lord, for he is coming. While in prayer one day, the Holy Spirit quickened the word given to Noah in Genesis 6. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. Noah hadn't gone out searching throughout all the earth to find the animals for the ark. God himself had caused them to come in, and the Lord promised that it would be so in his ministry also, you won't have to go out to bring them in. I shall bring them to you. So he continued to seek the Lord in fasting and in prayer. I have that same promise, that the Lord would bring you in. He would bring in men and women, earnest men and women who will pray, earnest men and women who will draw a line in the sand, who will not compromise any longer with wickedness, the world, the flesh, or the devil. Men and women who will stand though the heavens fall, that revival could come to this city. He continues then one day as swiftly as the flood waters had come in the days of Noah, so spontaneously came the floods of divine visitation to the white Argentine dwellers of the verdant valley. 
Do the evangelicals who pray for the sick live here? inquired two women, who appeared at the door of the parsonage one cold, rainy winter night in August. After introducing herself, the younger of the two said to the missionary pastor, The bones in my leg were improperly set after a bicycle accident some months ago, and I've had pain ever since. Could you pray that the Lord would take away my pain? After carefully reading the scriptures, Certainly he hath borne our sickness and carried our pains. And explaining the biblical teaching about healing, the pastor prayed for her. By the time she left that evening, the pain had completely disappeared. God had healed the first non-Indian Argentine in Chico. About a week later, the same young woman returned, saying, Pastor, the pain is gone, but ever since my accident, my broken leg has been shorter than the other. I can't wear high heels because I limp so badly that I fall headlong on the street. Would you pray for me again? The missionary prayed for her, promising, When you put on your high heels, your leg will lengthen, and you'll walk without a limp. The young lady went away believing that it would be even as the pastor had said. A few days later, she came walking down the street without a limp, her high heels clicking against the pavement, her face aglow with a new radiance. God has healed me, she shouted. Her cup of joy running over, she shared her testimony with everyone who would listen, promising, If you go over to the church at Villa San Martin, the pastor will pray for you, and you will be healed. By ones, by twos. In small groups, they came at first. Can you heal me? They would ask the pastor. The people accustomed for years to the practice of witchcraft and spiritist healers of all types concluded that the healer of Villa San Martin was just another witchcraft healer. The missionary's answer was the same. Each one, healing comes from God alone. I can heal no one. I can only pray for the sick and teach you what the Bible promises concerning healing. It is God himself who must do the healing. Teaching them of God's provision, salvation for the soul and healing for the body, Pastor Long carefully explained the scriptures. As the people listened to the word of God, they accepted it by simple faith, acknowledging themselves as sinners Believing in God as their Savior, repenting, they received healing in the simplicity of their faith. After receiving healing, they went out to share the wonderful news with others. There is one in Villa San Martin who can heal you. Go and be prayed for. And the townsfolk, believing the testimony of the people, began to come. More and more they came until soon every room in the parsonage and the church next door was full of inquirers waiting their turn to hear the word and to be prayed for. At all hours of the day and night they surged in, making it almost impossible to find time to eat or sleep. Soon the missionaries were at wit's end to know how to care for the many who came. 
Before long it was impossible to attend to them all one by one. There were just too many. The missionaries solved the problem by announcing two teaching sessions, one in the morning at ten and the other in the afternoon at four, and a general service for all every night except Monday. That was the pastor's rest day. The new schedule of only three meetings a day was a tremendous relief to the missionaries now accustomed to attending people all day long and far into the night. Still, the people continued to pour in as a ceaseless incoming tide. To them, there was a door of hope at Villa San Martin. The Heavenly Father was drawing them into His house, and they were coming by the hundreds. Their great needs and the hope of receiving help overcame all religious prejudice, ignorance, and barriers. When the late night train finally rolled in, the people came directly to the parsonage for prayers. Early in the morning they appeared before dawn, awakened one early morning by the jostling noise out in the street the Longs investigated and found three hundred people waiting for prayer before breakfast. It wasn't necessary to go out into the highways and the byways to compel them to come in, for they were drawn by an invisible force and came on their own to inquire the way of salvation and the gift of healing. God was bringing them in just as he had promised. There was no need to advertise or announce an evangelistic campaign, for soon there were so many people attending the services that they no longer fit into the one congregationless brick chapel. The services were moved to a vacant lot nearby. Nightly it was necessary to carry out benches and chairs and platform and loudspeakers. It was not uncommon for five to six thousand people to attend the lengthy service which lasted from early afternoon until long past midnight. Many came early with their lunches and waited patiently for the service to begin. Sometimes there were ten buses waiting for the people to take them home after the church. On weekends it was not uncommon for five buses to come from distant towns. Testimony time often lasted an hour or two hours, each person giving his name and address so that others could visit them to verify the healing. Many were healed as they sat in the congregation just listening to the word of God. Others were healed as they drew near to the church and still others as they stood outside the building observing. When there were too many for individual prayers, the missionary asked all those who suffered with one certain affliction to stand, and then he prayed for the blind group. He prayed for the deaf group, the cancer group. Numbers were given for the prayer line, and some people had to wait three months for their turn to come up to be prayed for. In the meantime, they continued to attend all the services, learning more and more about the Word of God, about Jesus, and His ways, and His commandments. They came in every available conveyance, in cars and trucks, buses, carts, bicycles. Some even came in lowly wheelbarrows. Often they would walk dozens of blocks through dusty or muddy roads to attend the service, 
in the hot, muggy, tropical weather. One woman traveled by horseback, another ox cart, in a rickety old bus, and then by train, in order to be able to come for prayer. In eight months, over 4,000 had acknowledged the Lord as their Savior. The names and addresses of those who had come filled one book after another. Many times when some would come requesting the missionary to accompany them to a distant town to pray for a loved one, he would say, By the word of the Lord, go thy way. Thy son, thy daughter, thy mother, thy father will live. Many were healed in this manner. Those who believed found their loved ones well when they returned home. When one person in a town was healed, the news traveled rapidly. Soon many others from that town came for prayer. Through the testimony of the young lady healed of the broken leg, an entire family numbering ninety, ninety people came to the Lord. One of them later became a pastor. Services were held in fourteen different towns and preaching points. Often more people attended a service than the total population of the town. New churches were opened. New converts swelled attendance of the already existing churches. Periodically, the Catholic publications printed warnings saying, Are the healings true healings or witchcraft healings? The warnings, instead of frightening the people away, only served as good advertising, and more new people always came to Villa San Martin after the denunciations. In the beginning, the doctors strongly opposed but later some of them recommended that their incurable patients go over to Villa San Martin. One laughingly said, That's my branch office over there. The opposition succeeded in having Missionary Long put in jail, accusing him of illegal practice of medicine, practicing witchcraft, and charging for the cures. The authorities called in many witnesses, for questioning, but finding the accusations untrue, they released Pastor Long. And after three days of imprisonment, just as he left the jail, a group of 300 people was preparing to march on the government house to demand his release. Feeling keenly the importance of the new people, not only hearing but understanding the word of God, the pastor insisted that they listen carefully to the instructions from the Scripture, knowing that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. As the light of God came into their darkened souls, they understood, and they received help by faith in the living God, in His eternal word. In one instruction class, the pastor noticed that the attention of a certain woman continued to wander, Three times he admonished her to listen carefully. Finally, when he prayed and all were healed, save the unattentive woman, she complained, Pastor, why wasn't I healed too? He reminded her that she hadn't even been paying any attention to the instruction from the scriptures. How then could she possibly be healed if she'd not heard and understood the word of God? If anyone came who was in a hurry... He told them to return later when they had sufficient time to listen. In another service, 
a woman from another province, had not understood the instruction given in Spanish to return to receive healing, and when later she expressed her sorrow at not having received healing, someone repeated the instructions to her. She understood immediately, and when the pastor told her to find the hernia that had been bothering her so painfully, she answered, I can't, it's gone. Scarcely had the doorbell sounded in the parsonage one day when a woman ran in screaming with intense pain. Oh, pastor, pray for me. I can't stand this pain any longer. When he laid his hands on her head to pray, God healed the hernia, and the pain immediately was eased and ceased. You know, I read this story of revival and my heart is so quickened. We need healing, spiritual healing. And many need physical healing. Pancreatic cancer. All kinds of sicknesses. Jesus came to set the captive free. But now, you have a decision to make on this last day of the year. Will you draw a line in the sand? And will you serve and obey the Lord God of heaven? And will you put away those idols that you have hidden in your heart? The gambling, the entertainment of the world, the love of money and power? Will you put away the idols of your heart, the people that you've put ahead of Jesus? Will you put away your trust in your intelligence? And will you learn of the humble Galilean who died on that cross for you? Will you humble your heart before him? Will you confess your sins? Will you ask him to come in and rule over your life and utterly, totally give yourself into his power? Will you do that now? I want to pray for you. Oh, Lord, I pray right now for every person listening to this broadcast. I ask, Lord, that in your mighty power, you would both bring repentance to their heart, forgiveness for their sins, and healing for their sickness. In the name of Jesus, amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I thank you for listening. I pray that God has met you today in a powerful way and that joy will fill your heart as you know the love of Jesus, as you know the obedience to his word, as you stop all compromise with the devil, as you take his side against a wicked culture 
and no longer bend to its demands. I pray that you will enjoy with, with shouts of praise. And would you join me in praying for revival in the city? He is coming. He's promised me. You're welcome to come and be a part of the fellowship of the National Prayer Chapel as the Holy Spirit calls you. Go to Google and just Google National Prayer Chapel and there you'll find the address and the time and everything is there. I love you. God bless you, my brother and my sister. Happy New Year. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory.